0: so the first thing I want to do is lower the bar sufficiently. This is my strategy for like 10 and a half years of marriage actually is to constantly be lowering the bar. Um, like Eric said, like I'm not a paid professional. I don't have like a big long resume. I do what a lot of you do I sell stuff here in, in Bentonville. Um, Rachel and I super like average, uh, family, not like the, the church ministry families. Right. So, um, like, we don't teach marriage conferences. We, like, go to them because, you know, we need help. Um, don't teach on parenting today because I, like, need help parenting. So keep it safe, right? And then the second thing is, yeah, Maisie was born Friday afternoon a little earlier than we had thought. Like, we thought she'd be at the end of January. And so Friday morning it was like, hey, let's go to the hospital. So, um, so that means my last 44 hours or so have been um sleep-deprived and a little crazy. So... um Hopefully you, uh, it's got the bar sufficiently, lowered. You want to see? You want to see a picture of her? Yeah. yeah. We, I think we got that. What? No, we have been sabotaged. There we go. There we go. Those of you who know, that's pretty funny. Nice work, Brian, in the back. Uh, those of you who know us know that we moved here from Denver a few years ago. Big Broncos fans in our house. Any other Broncos fans? So if in my sleep-deprived state I stammer, stutter, bumble around, God forbid I say something that's like complete heresy, just chalk it up to one of those two things, either he's just an average guy or he's sleep-deprived, and if things go really sideways, Brian, just throw this picture on the screen and everybody will say, oh, and we'll move on, right? But that moment when a kid is born, when your kid's born, it's like, it's an intense moment, isn't it? And it's... Life-changing. Hopefully this is like the last time I'll experience that moment. Um, But it's still full of like awe and wonder. And every emotion that you can feel kind of comes on you. Almost every emotion at one time. I mean, you're scared to death. And you're in awe and wonder that this little life has grown I mean, to to like a full human being with, you know, thoughts, feelings and emotions. And then you're like responsible for and and it's joyful and it's just it's a moment that really matters in your life. And it's a course changing moment. It's a heavy moment. It's just a big moment. And ironically, long before we knew that Maisie was going to show up on Friday, that's exactly what I wanted us to talk about today was moments That really matter in life. And I don't mean like the birth of a child or starting a new job or a graduation date. When I talk about moments that matter for us today, I think about spiritual, those heavy weighty spiritual moments where God's really trying to call us to do or be or go someplace different. Like there's a few of those that we get to experience in our life and they're They're big and they're just as momentous as when that child is born. So if it's all right with you today, what I'd like you to do is take your Bibles and open to Genesis chapter 12. And what we're going to do is we're going to go back and look at one of the oldest stories in the Bible, the story of a guy named Abraham and his wife, Sarah, and their journey with God. We're going to kind of take like a highlight of his whole life. He lived like 175 years, so we're just going to skim the top, right, or else we'd be here for a while. But what I want us to do is I want us to see five moments Between Abraham and his wife and God, five moments that really matter in life. And what I think we're going to find as we look at Abraham's life is that you and I, probably within this year, definitely within our lifetime, are going to experience one of, if not all five of these moments. And how can we be prepared to be faithful in a moment that matters? Does that sound like a plan? By the way, how is that for an introduction? I mean, Baby, you can't go wrong with that, right? And just think about the uh, the planning that that took— to nine months of forethought—to kind of measure up to. So tell Mike when he gets back; he's got some work to do to improve his uh, introductions. Before we get to Genesis, I want to read to you a verse from James chapter two, verse twenty-three. And this is a New Testament writer looking back on the life of Abraham, and here's what he said about Abraham: He said, "Abraham." The scripture was fulfilled which said, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And look at this last phrase. And Abraham was called the friend of God. Isn't that what you want for your life? I mean, that's what I want for my life. I don't just want to be on the outside, on the fringes, just kind of here, just kind of in. Like, I mean, if I'm going to follow God, I want to go all the way. I want to be... A friend of God. And that's what God said about Abraham in the Old Testament. He says, Abraham, who was my friend. And that's what this verse refers to. What we're going to learn today together is this, that friends of God are faithful in moments that matter. Friends of God are faithful in moments that matter. And let's look at five moments together. All right, here we go. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, now his name is Abram, his wife's name is Sarai at this point. Their names eventually get changed to Abraham and Sarah, But so it's Abram, Abraham, same guy. Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you and those who curse you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is actually the beginning of like God's redemptive plan to bring Jesus to the world for our salvation. This is where it starts with this calling of Abram and his wife to follow him. And that's the first moment that matters for us. The first moment that I want to talk about today, the first moment that matters is when we are called to follow, to follow God. And from the very beginning of time, thousands of years ago with Abram, all the way to Jesus with his disciples and to us today, this is what God does. He calls people to step out, to move, to follow him. And you know this, this verse, the Jesus in, in the book of Mark, chapter 1, when Jesus is following his disciples, what does he say to them? He says, come what? Follow me. That's what he wants us to do. He wants you and I to follow him. But notice what Abraham had to do in order to follow God, and this is where it gets hard. Because when I look at my life and I think about the moments where God's followed me and some are called me to follow, and some of those moments I've been faithful in, and some of those moments I know I wasn't faithful in, I, I go back to, you know, the difficulty is is when we're called to follow, we always have to we always have to leave some things behind. And that's what God called Abraham to do. And that's the challenge because, I mean, if it was just all promises, like come follow me, we're going to do this, and I want you to do that, and it's going to be this beautiful blessing. I mean, that's what God gets to with Abraham. But it, not before he says in verse 2 or verse 1 to go forth from your country, leave your relatives, leave your father's house. The challenge for us is always maybe not so much in the following, because I think most of us want to go where God wants to take us. The challenge is the things we have to leave behind in order to get there. That's the hard part, isn't it? And we become like this guy in the New Testament who came to Jesus. It's in the Gospel of Luke. We don't have time to read it. But this guy comes to Jesus and says, hey, how do I have eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you just simple just obey all the laws of the Old Testament. Which, like no one can do. But the guy said, well, I've done that. And so then Jesus says to this guy who actually had a lot of material possessions said, okay, Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. And he didn't do it. He walked away sad because he didn't want to leave some things behind. So how do we prepare ourselves for that moment when God calls us to follow him and when that following involves some leaving behind? Um, We do it this way. We put our yes on the table. And I brought this. But this is backwards, so I, this is like an exercise for the sleep-deprived right here. I can see. Is all those letters facing the right way? <laughs> there we go. You try it with like three hours of sleep. Here's a question for us. Before God makes an ask or a request, before he leads, before he calls, when you wake up in the morning, is your yes to him already been placed on the table. Hey, dads who are trying to lead your family, I mean, is your yes on the table with your career and with your job and with your leadership? Are you are you already committed to following? And moms who are pulled like a thousand different directions, like is, is your yes already on the table? And like high school and college students who are just getting ready to kind of launch out into life, like I, I can't encourage you, any more, to do anything more than before you walk out that door for the last time and begin your own life to say, my yes, it was already on the table, God, wherever you call, I'm going to follow. It's the first moment that matters. And it's when we're called to follow God. There's a second moment we learn from Abraham. And this one's kind of a challenge. Look in Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. There was a famine in the land. And so Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there for the famine was severe in the land. The second moment I want to talk about today is when we're called to difficulty. When we're called to difficulty. Because here's what happened with Abraham. God makes Abraham a promise. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. Whoever blesses you, I'm going to bless them too. And people who curse you, I'm going to curse them. You have my protection. And so Abraham packs up all like the sheep and the, like, you know, the, the family, and they start this long journey, and they travel to where God tells them to, to go. And when they get there, it's a famine. How many of you relocated your family before? This is where you participate. Go ahead. How many of you relocated your family to northwest Arkansas? All right, so did we. So we moved here from Denver. And when Rachel and I first felt um, God kind of calling us here, my mom, in a long story, my mom was living here at the time. And so we came to visit and we flew into the Northwest Arkansas Regional Airport. This is back when it was just like still the barn kind of thing. You know what I mean? And we land, we land at 10 o'clock at night. And my mom lived kind of in Rogers. So we took like that back road to Cave Springs or that 267 or whatever. And it was like the darkest, dark I'd ever seen in my life and we get on the road and there's a turkey truck and it's like feathers. And you're like, we want to move here. Um, And that's I think that's a look like to like, you know, turn that up to 11. And that's what Abraham and Sarah are dealing with here. They get to where God told them to go. And it's not full of promises and blessings right away. It's actually full of difficulty and pain. And there's a famine. And the problem for us is, you know, if we if we just listen to the TV preacher guys who sell a lot of books, they kind of make you believe in something closer to karma. Like if you do what God tells you to do, then boom, windows open up from heaven, stuff comes pouring into your life and it's just like always amazing and full and perfect and it's good. But the reality of it is that God is not afraid to call us out into the deep, to the ocean, to the waves. And he's not afraid to take you right into the jaws of difficulty. As a matter of fact, not only did he do it to Abraham, he did it to Jesus. And there's this verse in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, where it says this, the spirit, God's own spirit led Jesus out into the wilderness so that he could be tempted by the devil. I want to illustrate this point by telling you a story, and it'll take a minute. Okay, I'm just going to tell you right now because we're going to tell you another life story from somebody else, but it's worth it. Can you throw up that picture of um, Adoniram Judson? Yeah, so this guy, this guy's name is Adoniram Judson, and uh, 1788, 1850. He's actually known as the first missionary ever from the United States. How many of you have heard of this guy before? Anybody heard of this guy? Okay. You're going to get a lesson real quick on him today because he's amazing. He was a brilliant guy. He was, when he was three years old, his dad was away on business. and His mom taught him to read in a week. Like, how are you doing, parents? Like, you know, like, thanks. <laughs> and so he, he, um, he grows up in this Christian family. He's really brilliant. He goes to Brown. And while he's at University of Brown, he meets a guy by the name of Jacob Eames. Jacob Eames was a deist, and deists weren't really atheists, but they didn't believe in a personal relationship with, all, uh, with God at all. They kind of believed that God was just kind of this nebulous out there figure, and it doesn't matter for us. And J- Jacob Eames influenced Adoniram's thinking so much so that he left his faith, broke his parents' heart. And so then after he graduated from Brown, he, he Adonorum decides he's going to be an actor, right? Like just what every parent who sends their kid to Brown wants. Like, you're gonna, really, you're going to go be an actor? And so he travels around and he's going to visit his uncle, and he goes to this inn. This is a couple years after college. And he checks into the inn, and the innkeeper tells him, you know, uh, Mr. Judson or whatever they called him back then, like, look, there's going to be some commotion. There's a person in the inn who is very sick, and it was right across the door from from Adonorum's room. And all night long, Adonorm Judson is hearing people going in and out of this room and groans of a man who is obviously very ill. And he actually began to be haunted by the fact that this person next to him is dying, which if you've ever been in any situation like that, it would be disturbing, right? This person right across the deal, their life is ending. And he stays awake almost all night realizing that he's not prepared to die and wondering about the condition of the other person, even though it totally went against his newfound deist beliefs. The next morning, Adoniram Judson goes to check out of the inn, and he asked the innkeeper, how is the man who was in the room next to me? And the innkeeper said he died. He said, do you know his name? And the innkeeper said his name was Jacob Eames. It was Judson's friend from university who happened to be in the room next to him. Not right away, but that experience changed Adoniram Judson, and he began to come back to his faith. And he began to feel called to missions. And this was at a time in America in the early 1800s and, and just in the world. People didn't believe in missions. Like, they didn't think missions was a thing. No mission centers, no trips. Like, some people actually thought it was wrong for people in the church to go do missions. But Judson felt called to, to do this. And so he meets this girl in college that he wants to be his wife. And he tells her that he's going to be a missionary. And so he writes, uh, the girl's name is Anne. He writes Anne's father this letter. And I want to read to you part of it. He's asking his her father if he could marry her. He says, I have to ask now whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want And distress to degradation, to insults, to persecution, and perhaps to a violent death. Now, listen, I'm the dad of three girls, right? (laughs) You gotta take a a softer approach or something? I mean, build it up a little. In 1812, Adam Norman and Anne set sail for India. In 1813, against the advice of the other missionaries in India, they go to Rangoon, Burma. And they begin there a lifelong battle against 108 degree heat, against cholera, malaria, dysentery, all these difficulties, living literally on the very edge of life. I'm going to tell you some st- about their life. They didn't get a single letter or piece of mail from home until they had been there for three years. They were there for six years, six years that they worked in Burma in the jungle before they ever saw one person. Become a believer in Jesus Christ. While they were there in those six years, Anne gave birth to two children, both of whom died, one immediately upon birth, the other just shortly thereafter. Eight years into their journey in Burma, Anne became sick, so sick she had to go home. She went home for over two and a half years. When she came back to Burma after two and a half years, Judson had not heard from her for ten months. Can you imagine being no communication with your spouse at all for ten months? They moved inland from Rangoon into the inner area of Burma at the time when the British came and began to assault the, the uh, Burmese capital of Rangoon. And so while they were there, the, the Burmese became very suspicious of any type of foreigners. And they took Adam Norman, they put him in jail, and they tortured him every day. Anne was pregnant. She would walk two miles every day to plead for someone to release him from prison, that he wasn't some type of British spy. He was a missionary. Meanwhile, he was being tortured. He was being fed food that was rotting and disgusting and became very sick. There were lice and bugs. They had to shave their heads while they were in jail. And so Anne's walking back and forth while she's pregnant two miles a day. He's in prison. She gives birth to their daughter while he's still in jail. All three of them are about to starve to death. Anne begins, her milk dries up and she's unable to feed the baby. The jailer has mercy on them and lets Norm Judson leave the jail at night to take their baby down to the village to beg for one of the other women in the village to be able to nurse their baby. After 17 months in jail, Judson was suddenly released, but the damage to Anne had been done. Eleven, eleven months later, Anne died. Six months after Anne, the baby died as well. Twelve years into their time in Burma, sickness, torture. They, he's been imprisoned. Three dead children, a dead wife, and hardly anything to show for it in the gospel. Judson would stick with the difficulty and stick with it. He. He began, he, after eight years, he would actually remarry to a, another missionary who was a widow. And together, him and his second wife, Sarah, would have um, eight children. Five, only five of them would survive childhood. Sarah would eventually get so sick that they had to go back to the United States. So they got on a boat, left their three youngest children in Burma, begin to set sail for the United States. Let me say it again. Left their three youngest children in Burma. As they rounded the horn of South Africa, his second wife Sarah died. He returned to Burma at the age of 57, married a third time to a wife, and that they enjoyed four amazing years together. But four years into that, Edernorum Judson became incredibly sick and had to go back to the United States. He was violently ill, throwing up blood. It was on this in the bottom of a ship in the ocean on. 4-15 on Friday, April 12, 1850, Adonorm Judson died on a ship away from his family, away from the Burmese church. And he wrote this line into his journal before his death, how few there are who die so hard because of what he was experiencing. His wife, 10 days after his death, his wife back in Burma would give birth to their second child who died at birth she wouldn't learn of Judson's death until four months later. Now let me ask you something. Is that difficulty? Okay, you should all be shaking your heads right now, right? That's about as hard as it gets in life. 38 years in the jungle. I think eight, eight children, two wives, tortured in prison. But do you think maybe that that's exactly where God had led Adam Judson? Do you think maybe that's right where God wanted him to be? About 10 years ago, 15 years ago, traveled to Thailand and crossed the border into Burma. And under a grass hut, I worshipped with a group of Burmese Christians. Many of them holding a Bible that was a copy of the Bible that Adonorm Judson had translated himself 200 years ago. Today in Burma, there's 3,700 churches that can trace their their history directly back to Adoniram Judson. There's probably about 700,000 believers there. And the point is this. Set aside our American view for a minute. We know, don't we, that God absolutely will call us into difficulty and pain. And we know that that's right sometimes where he wants us to be, and as a matter of fact... From the very cross itself, all through history of Christianity, the greatest works of God are almost always done in the middle of difficulty. So how do we prepare ourselves for that moment that matters, a moment of difficulty? We do it by this. We understand God's character when we're in the light so that we can still believe it when it gets dark. I mean, you have to understand and believe the character of God who will lovingly choose to expose you to difficulty at certain moments in life. But you need to understand that and believe that before you find yourself at that moment. And It's this crazy thing about difficulty because we all run away from it. Obviously, nobody wants to go into that. But, you know, I think we all know that success and prosperity has ruined far more people than difficulty and challenge ever has. So we need to understand God's character, that he willingly, lovingly will call us out into the deep waters, out into the ocean when the waves are rising. And we believe that in the light so that when we're there in the dark, we can still be faithful in that moment that matters. Okay, first moment that matters, when we're called to follow God. The second moment that matters is when we're called to difficulty. And some of you might find yourselves there today. I just want to tell you, be faithful in that moment because friends of God are faithful in moments that matter. The third thing is this, when we're called to trust. The third moment that matters is when we are called to trust. This story, we're going to read one instance of this story. What I'm about to read to you actually happens to Abram and Sarai two times, and you're not going to believe it when you really think it through. All right, Genesis 12, verse 10. There's a famine in the land, the difficulty... Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came about that when he came near Egypt, and he said to Sarai, his wife, See now, I know that you are a beautiful woman, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, and they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, so that it may go well with me because of you, and I may live on account of you. At this point, here's what's happening. Abraham knows that his wife Sarah, even though she's 65, is still very attractive. And that at some point, if he was, if they found, were to find out that they were married, they would probably kill Abraham and take Sarah into Pharaoh's house, is how the word the Bible uses it. You know what I'm, like, why I'm doing quotes and what I mean by that, right? She's not just there as a guest. And so, Abram hatches this plan that they're going to lie about who she is so that his life would be spared. Verse 14, it came about that when Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians did see that the woman was very beautiful. And Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And he treated Abram well for her sake. And he gave him sheep and oxen, a donkey, a male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And the Pharaoh called Abram and said, why have you done this to me? Why, did you tell me that she, why didn't you tell me she is your wife? Why did you say she's my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. And he commanded his men concerning with them, and they escorted them away, his wife and all they belonged to him. So you think the discussion after the whole famine situation was awkward? Like, imagine this reuniting. Hey, Abraham, nice plan. And it happens to them twice. Did I mention that? They do this again. And they're in this position where they're in Egypt. And they're actually in a spot where what they needed to do was to just trust that the God who promised was going to provide for them. That's what they needed to do. But they couldn't. They didn't. And I mean, listen, we've all been in positions, hopefully not like this colossally bad, where, where we've, we've known we should have trusted God but we begin to scheme or work or manipulate people or situations to try to make things work out when God's saying, Will you just trust me. And the ways that we need to trust him, I mean, think about all the areas of life that we need to trust him with our, with our finances and, and with our kids and with our parenting and with our careers. And he wants us to really trust him, not just to take the situation into our own hands. You know, the thing about trust is trust is a learned, a totally learned behavior. We have to learn to trust. And that's why I say when it's time for us, how do we prepare for a moment where we're called to really trust? Here's how we prepare for that moment. We trust God in little things today so that we're ready to trust him in bigger things tomorrow because it's a learned behavior. Trust him in little things today so that we're ready to trust him with big things tomorrow. I want to ask you, what what are you really trusting God in today? If you're like me, you just get into like autopilot mode sometimes. You know, you get up, you go to work, you get there at this time, you do X, Y, and Z. You leave, you go home, you have, you know, one of the same ten things for dinner. You kind of go through this cycle of life, right? And You just kind of go through and go through and go through it. I think God wants so much more for that. He wants us out on the edge where we're trusting him. We have to trust him. Let me give you one, and this is like not a pay, like Mike didn't ask me to say this, right? He doesn't know um, I'm saying this. Can I give you one really, it's big, it's not easy, but it is a pretty simple area where you can like a small thing to begin to trust him with, and it's with your finances. Like Mike talked about a couple weeks ago, give, giving God a dime out of every dollar, a tithe, 10%. And, you know, Rachel and I and our family, like, I'll be honest and say like, we have like we didn't always tithe. We didn't always give the way that I think God wants us to give. And I look back at that now and I think, gosh, it's it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's pretty simple. I mean, my income for me is pretty fixed every month and my expenses are pretty fixed most months. And we're not like having children. Right. And. And like then it just becomes like a, a math problem, right? of how to get from from not giving to giving based on these two variables that aren't very that are pretty constant. I go, if I can't trust God with that, what makes me think the moment that I really need to trust him in something big that my faith will be built up the way it should be? When you're called to follow, that's a moment that matters. When you're called to difficulty, being faithful is a moment that matters. When you're called to trust, that's a moment that matters. Fourth, when you're called to believe. When you're called to believe. Let me ask you a question before we read this verse. You can turn over to Genesis chapter 16 here. Genesis chapter 16. How many of you have ever been in a spot or a position? I'm not asking for a raise of hands. Just think about this. Where you know for a fact that God told you or called you That God wanted you to do or be or say something. That there was a moment in time where you know that God called you to do something and everything around you looked like the exact opposite was true. Like it just wasn't supposed to happen. Think about that moment in your life. Because that's where Abraham and Sarah found themselves. Genesis chapter 16. Now, we're further down the, the time clock here a little bit. They're older. They've had this promise from God. They actually picked up and moved their family to this land. They actually went through this whole Pharaoh's house situation twice, all because of this promise. And there's still no child. He still has not been blessed with a son, with a descendant. The promise that God gave him long ago still hasn't happened. so... Instead of believing, continuing to believe, again Abram and Sarah began to scheme and manipulate. Genesis chapter sixteen, verse one: Sarah's wife, Abram's wife, had borne to him no children. She had an Egyptian maid slave who was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, "Behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go to my maid; perhaps I will obtain children through her." Look at this next sentence: and Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Let that be a warning to us to be careful of the voices to which we tune our ear. Verse 3, Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan. Abram's wife, Sarai, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as his wife. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw, when she, that is Sarai, saw that she had conceived, her, her mistress was despised in her sight. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done me be upon you. Do you see the anger in her voice? This whole thing has now caused a problem in their relationship. Shocker. And she's saying, this is your fault, Abraham. But when she saw that she had conceived, I despised her. May the Lord judge between you and me. And Abraham said to Sarah, behold, your maze and your power do to her what is good in your sight. And so Sarah treated her harshly and she fled from her presence. So Abraham says, fine, whatever you want to do, go do. So Sarai treats Hagar harshly and Hagar runs away. The point of the matter is this. They were in a spot where what they needed to do, what they were called to do in this moment that matters was to continue to believe what God had told them, but they stopped. And I think about moments like this in my life and Probably the most recent one was five and a half years ago. We, we were living in Denver. This is before the whole turkey truck incident. But we were living in Denver. We felt like God wanted us to move here. I was in, like, the financial services industry. It was going to require a career change. But we did it. We, like, stepped out on faith. Like, I mean, this was crazy. My oldest daughter was one, and Rachel was pregnant. And we found this job where we could live in an apartment, but it was an 80% pay cut for us to move here. But some like silly recruiter, sorry, recruiters and like, like do you just need to move here? Yeah. Easy for him to say. I'm the one taking the 80 percent pay cut to move here and kind of relaunch our career and our lives here in northwest Arkansas. I mean, that was really stupid of us to do. And I look back on it, but we believed. And even though everything around us said, like, this is a really bad idea. We just believe that's what God wanted, and I I can't I wish I could tell you like how incredibly faithful God has been in every moment since then. But I have to ask myself the question Is that what God wants for me to like every half decade be in a spot where I have to really believe? Or does maybe He want more of that in my life every day? I gotta think He wants me to live on that edge of belief. More often than once every five and a half years. Friends of God are faithful in moments of matter. So how do we prepare ourselves for when we're called to believe? And that goes to this. We put ourselves in a position today where your faith would be built for tomorrow. Put yourself in a position today where your faith will be built for tomorrow. So I ask you again, where are you today placing your life to where if, if you're, you're just believing something that God told you, even though it seems impossible, Because that's what he wants from us. And he wants us to do that today so that tomorrow when it's a bigger issue and it's a bigger issue, that we're prepared to be faithful in that moment. Friends of God, faithful in moments that matter. When we're called to follow. When we're called to difficulty. When we're called to trust. When we're called to believe. And here's the last moment that matters. When we're called to sacrifice. Turn over the right to Genesis chapter 22. The last moment that matters is when we're called to sacrifice. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. It came about that after these things, God tested Abraham and said, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, take your son. And I, like God's like pouring it on. Take your son, your only son, whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains. Sacrifice him to me. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split wood for the offering. And he arose and he went To the place that God had told him. Abraham, after all this journey of faith, of a couple of spectacular crashes and burns and a couple of amazing moments of faithfulness. God calls him to the greatest test ever and says, I want you to actually sacrifice your son. And Abraham loads him up, takes him to the mountain and is so committed to being faithful in this moment that he actually, if you read the rest of the story, raises the knife to do what God's asked him to do when God says, stop. And God provides. And I think about like the idea of sacrifice. You know what I think most of us are pretty good at? You know what I think I'm pretty good at most of the time? is like giving. Like, hey, a little extra money. Maybe I could put it in the offering basket, or I could help somebody who needs it this month, you know, could do a little bit extra for somebody somehow, or or, hey, you know what, I got a little extra time, maybe I could like volunteer somewhere, or I mean, you know, like, I think most of the time we're pretty good at giving. You know what I'm terrible at? Is when giving goes a lot deeper than that, and requires some pain, and actually requires sacrifice. You know what God's incredibly good at? sacrificing. And he wants us to go with him to that place to where we become people who sacrifice. So how do we prepare for God to call us to sacrifice? I mean like Adoniram Judson was prepared to sacrifice. That girl's dad was prepared to sacrifice. We do it when we loosen our grip and when we change our perspective. Let me just explain this real quick, what I mean by this. Abraham obviously held on to Isaac because he was like the promised one, right? But he didn't hold on to him so tightly that God couldn't get him back. He had a loose enough grip on his one and only son, Isaac, that he actually was willing to sacrifice. And I think about, and why don't you think about this, what are the things that you hold on so tightly to? I mean, I hold on to my girls, my wife and my, my three daughters, you know, you... As a dad, you're like, that's my responsibility, and so you grab onto that. And and I I've wrestled with whether or not to say this, but I'm just gonna go and throw it out there because I'm not a paid professional and like but this is real life. Like my career I mean I hold on to my career because like I like my job and I like a paycheck and I like making money, I like getting promotions, like that matters to me, and so like I hold on to that. And the point of the whole thing about the loosening your grip is this. I'll never sacrifice. I'll never sacrifice my material things as long as I'm clenching onto them so tight. I'll never sacrifice my children to God's plan for their life if I'm holding onto them too tight. He just wants us to loosen our grip. And the perspective change that helps you get there is this, recognizing that all that stuff is God's to begin with. Abraham had such a unique way of seeing that because the way God gave him Isaac was such a miracle. But it's true of your career. And no matter how many big or small your possessions might be, it's true of those. It's true of your children. It's true of your very breath and life every day. That it's not really yours. It's his. And so loosen up. And when the time comes for us to sacrifice, we'll be ready. So those are the moments that matter. Five moments that matter. There's probably more, but, you know, it's Abraham's life. It's, and it's when we're called to follow God. Is your yes on the table? When you're called to difficulty, do you understand God's character in such a way that you're willing to go with him even into difficult places? When you're called to trust, are you trusting him in little things today that prepare you to trust him in big things tomorrow? When you're called to believe, are you doing things in your life today that build up your faith for tomorrow? And then when you're called to sacrifice, are you willing to loosen your grip on those things? Change your perspective. Recognize that there are gods to be faithful in those moments. Let's go back to the beginning and what God said about Abraham. James 2 verse 23, the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God. And it was reckoned reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was a friend of God. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for me in our lives together. Let's pray. Maybe just in that moment, I I don't know many of you, um, but in the stillness of this minute, maybe you just need to think about, are there some places in your life, some moments in your life right now that really matter? And do you just need to prepare to really tell God that yeah my yes is on the table I'm ready I'm willing I want to go to a place where I can be your friend where I can be faithful in moments that matter Father I pray that for all of us you would take us to a deeper place of trust and belief and faith in you And God that the moments that really matter in our life that you bring to us God, I pray that there would be faithfulness in our heart and in our lives.